Have you ever considered venturing out and sitting by a pond at night time? It's quiet, dark, and eerie, but time it right, and it's a fascinating experience. If you're lucky and sit quietly enough, you might just see bats darting around in the moonlight, feeding on insects. Their shadows reflected on the pond's surface. I love peering into the shadowy undergrowth around the pond's edge, looking for movement. A shivering plant shaken by an unseen animal, creeping about the water. Sometimes it's the noises you notice. A rustling, a slithering, a shriek. It gets really interesting when I turn my torch on, because as the light sweeps around... Moths are drawn towards it. Brilliant insects of all sizes, colours and shapes. But on this occasion, they're not what I've come to investigate. I turn my light down and rest it on the surface of the pond. And as a thin beam travels down into the watery depths, you catch a glimpse of a different world altogether. Are your eyes playing tricks on you? Or is this a treat for the senses? You notice creatures with unimaginably strange bodies looking for their next victim. A place where human ideas of good and evil don't exist. This is a land of eat or be eaten. It's brutal, it's bizarre, it can be grotesque. This is Halloween, and we're looking at what lies beneath. Happy Halloween! (laughs) Welcome to Waterlands, a series brought to you by WWT. I'm Megan McCubbin, a zoologist and conservationist, and this series is a journey through some of the richest habitats on Earth. Ponds are incredibly special places, full of life. And, as it's Halloween, full of the dark and creepy creatures as well. (laughs) Oft, they say, some evil spirit attends, hovering and blazing with delusive light, misleads the amazed night wanderer from his way to bolts and mires and oft through pond or pool. They're swallowed up and lost from sucker far. Well, as you've gathered, things are a little bit different in this final episode of the series. And we're looking at everything spooky about ponds. Above them, on their surface, and especially what lies beneath, into the depths. Spending time in the dark at a pond is a great way to see a different side of the life that lives there. I've come out on quite a stormy, dark, wet night. It's been raining all day, so the grass is dewy. There is water drops hanging on my washing line. Things are just a little bit damp and chilly. But I've taken a seat next to my small, humble garden pond. I've got a torch with me and I'm just going to turn it on and shine it down into my pond 
Now, as I've said before, it's quite small, only about a metre by a metre. It's got lots of vegetation in it. It's surrounded by rocks. But looking in without light, it looks very dark, as if nothing is living there. But when you shine a light, let me see what I can find. I haven't actually explored my own garden pond at night, so this is a first for me. Quite excited to see what dramas unfold here. Hmm. I'm looking in the shallows first. You can definitely see some beetle life scurrying around there. They move so fast, it's amazing. There's definitely lots of little micro-invertebrates as well. Still going about as they did in the daytime. But I don't know, something about seeing them at night is especially unusual. And I know for a fact that this is prime bat time. Uh, lots of different species that make their home in the sky up here in northern Scotland where I currently am. It's a little bit eerie. I think the dampness does that. It adds something a little bit dramatic. The sky is ink blue. It's peaceful, actually. But then maybe that says more about me, finding peace in the spookiness of the night. I find it fascinating. Oh, wait a minute. I think I just heard a, a rustle from behind me. Probably one of the badgers. I get badgers in my garden, really luckily. But if you get the chance, come out to your pond at night. It may be spooky, it may be eerie. You may be in for a fright. Or you may be in for the ultimate treat. I'm certainly not the only one who likes being out by a pond at night. Ellie Jones is in charge of WWT's Waterscapes projects, creating and restoring whole landscapes filled with a mosaic of different wetlands. She's often been out in the wilds when the sun's gone down. I've spent a lot of time actually at ponds at night and you might think it's a really scary time to be out there. But it's not. It's it's really beautiful. And I think the thing I remember most about visiting ponds um, after dark is is the noise that you hear because your, uh, you know, your sense of, of sight has, has gone pretty much. So you get this real heightened perception of noise. Just sitting around, you can hear all sorts of things from the wind going through the bulrushes. You might hear birds flapping in the trees, not quite sure what it is. Um, but then you might hear a hoot of a tawny owl. It's quite common to hear, you know, a bark from a roe deer, which just comes out of nowhere, but is really, really strong and powerful. I think my favourite noise, though, is the bats. It's that feeding buzz that you can hear if you're lucky enough. Unfortunately, the older I get, the less I can hear it, but it's just this wonderful sound. If bats home in on, on a prey item, it's, it's just a, a, really, a really cool sort of metallic-y electronic sound. And you know that they've caught something and it's just absolutely wonderful. I love that. I, I love that you mentioned hearing bats because it's a sound that I've never been able to listen to. I think it's because I probably have my music turned up in my headphones as a teenager a little bit too loud. And it's an amazing sound. I'm very envious of anyone that can go out and hear bats at night. I mean, that's a brilliant thing. 
it's really lovely if you can just hear them with your ears but of course you can get a bat detector and that will help make those calls audible for you so um you know i'd recommend if anyone wants to go out and hear the calls to maybe join a local bat walk or something like that because because they're all really different actually there's so many different vocalizations from bats that um that yeah it's it's a really wonderful thing to do I find it fascinating how a species gains its reputation, and bats are no different. They are thought of as spooky omens. But why? Is it just that they emerge at night when we're all tucked up in bed? Maybe it's the fast, unpredictable way they move. Or their out-of-date reputation as bloodsuckers, hair grabbers, or disease carriers. Whatever the reason... No Halloween or horror film is complete without a bat or two. But in reality, they are wonderful animals with cute little faces and fantastic adaptations. Seeing them hunt above water is one of the best ways to watch them. My pond at home is too small and vegetated to get much bat activity. My favourite place to watch them is at my local river, where I can sit for hours watching them swoosh down, catch an insect, leaving only a ripple on the water surface. If you see this type of behaviour over water, then it's likely to be a Dorbenton's bat, which are specialists at hunting over water bodies. Bats are so important for the environment. A common pipistrelle, for example, can feed on over 3,000 insects a night. I think they need a new reputation, and I'm sure Dracula would agree. So, my name's Jack Greenhouch, and I'm an acoustic ecologist. Experiencing the seemingly spooky, scary side of life above a pond is one thing. Once we're under the surface, things get stranger still more bizarre than anything you might see in a sci-fi film. This dark world may be unfamiliar to many of us, but not to Jack Greenhelch. He researches the sounds of the natural world and is never happier than when he's lowering a hydrophone, a special underwater microphone, down into an ink-black pond and listening in. Well, I say he's never happier. It didn't start out like that. The first time that I decided to record at night, I just had no idea really what it would sound like. So I got very excited, went down to the pond with my equipment, and I was alone. And it's kind of in the middle of nowhere in Norfolk where I was. And so I put the hydrophone in, start listening, put the headphones on. You're locked in then to just listening. It's dark, you can't really see anything. I was focusing on these sounds. And a couple of minutes go by, and then I suddenly realise I'm alone, I'm standing in a field in the dark, and I just got this this sudden realisation that something might be watching me, you know, skulking me and uh, looking through the bushes. In Norfolk, there is um, a folk legend of a giant wolf with glowing red eyes called Black Shuck. And Black Shuck prowls the fields of Norfolk at night time looking for victims. And it's said that if you were to ever look into Black Shuck's glowing red eyes, then you won't live out the rest of the year. 
And so this is what I was thinking of while I was listening to the pond. And I got pretty scared, actually, and stopped and left. <laughs> I'm not ashamed to say. I knew Black Shuck was coming. To be honest, I'm not sure Black Shuck is the weirdest thing you might come across around a pond. Because once you get to know the fascinating underwater world, it becomes a different level of strangeness. And when you can actually hear what's going on, it gets even more bizarre. When you approach a new pond for the first time with your recording equipment, you never really know what you're going to get. No two ponds are the same. So it's always a surprise when you turn up and you lower the hydrophone down. And as you do, you can hear the water envelop the hydrophone and this familiar a terrestrial world that we're used to hearing with the bird song in the background and some wind blowing gently disappears and you're transported immediately to this underwater world. You can hear a lot of sounds coming from a vast area. The way sound travels in water, it travels much faster, four times faster, four times further in water. When I'm listening, I try and imagine myself in the pond. It can really get your imagination going as to what What's going on? It's just um, always so exciting. Really, the standout moments in the 24-hour cycle of a pond is um, during the middle of the day is one of them. Um, aquatic plants, submerged aquatic plants, produce a lot of sound as they photosynthesize in the hot sun. So when the sun is baking down on the surface of the pond, these plants are whirring away like submerged factories and you can hear little tiny oxygen bubbles escaping the leaf structure. And then in their place, when the sun sets and the moon comes out and the temperature drops, these hundreds of insects, water boatmen, emerge in the darkness and start calling and singing together in these large choruses as they look for a mate. Kind of eerie, rattling sounds, like crickets or cicadas, they make sounds by rubbing two hard body parts together. A water boatman do this, but um, they use their penis and rub it up against their abdomen in order to produce this sound. But it's an incredibly loud sound, about 99 decibels. So this is kind of like going to a, a concert and standing near the front row listening to this thing. There are so many wonderfully bizarre things about the animals that make sounds in ponds. Yeah, so you're not quite sure if they're close, if they're far away. Maybe they're behind you, sneaking up. The eerie rattling of these water boatmen from all directions towards you is quite otherworldly. One of Jack's favourite things to listen out for are water beetles. Not just for their sound but also for their viciousness. I think Jack could be quite into horror films. A lot of the insects that are making sounds are ferocious predators, and the water beetles have these great big proboscis. What they do with these is, is they inject them like needles into their prey and inject digestive enzymes, and these slowly start dissolving the insides of their prey so that they can then suck out 
these insides through the straw. And so these animals are not harmless little bugs. These guys are, are scary. You know, it's a, it's a pretty brutal world down there in the pond. And so when I'm listening to the sounds that they're making, I can imagine entering this smaller world and perhaps even becoming prey to one of these ferocious predators. Sounds like something straight out of Predator versus Alien. One thing I'd like to know more about is why do we find these things spooky and scary? And why do they work on our imagination so effectively? Well, who better to ask than a writer of some really rather scary books where nature plays a leading role? Lucy Christopher writes stories for young people and adults. Her first big hit was Stolen, about a woman who is kidnapped and taken to the Australian outback. Since then, she's written many other successful books involving spooky nature, including one set on Halloween. But she first really got into wetlands and writing when she took a job at the Newport Wetlands Reserve in South Wales. I loved being in that environment so much that... I actually started to write a book that was set in that wetlands. And it was the first book I started to write. It was a book called Fly Away. And it was about an injured hooper swan um, who loses her flock. And our main character tries to reunite this swan with her flock again. And in doing so, helps to heal her, her damaged family. So the wetlands gave me an awful lot as a person, um, not only this huge amount of knowledge and wonder for this particular environment, it gave me a real awareness of kids in the environment and it gave me the first book that I wrote. Lucy now lives a long way from South Wales. She joined us from her house in Tasmania, where she's moved to try and get even more wild nature into her writing. 40% of Tasmania is wilderness. It's home to a huge array of wetlands, from swamp forests to coastal lagoons, from beautiful freshwater marshes to spooky underground water systems. It also has huge swathes of untouched rainforest, where there are no roads or buildings. It's completely wild, a perfect place to spend Halloween. It's getting dark, which is making it even more spooky. I can see some, they're called ghost gums, which are pale, white, trunked eucalyptus trees. And soon we will probably be hearing various frogs start up. There is also a little creek at the bottom of the hill. And it's snake season, so snakes might be starting to come up out of wherever they've been hiding for the cold months. So that's a little bit scary as well. There's all sorts of scary things hiding in the wilderness outside my window. There is a strong appeal to write about Halloween and all things scary because Halloween and scary things are emotional things. We are emotional creatures, so ramping up the emotion will help readers to connect with that. So it's fun to be a bit scared, but to be a bit scared in, a, in quite a safe environment like reading a story. I think actually nature can be something really scary for kids in a way that perhaps it's not so scary for adults because we've experienced a lot of nature and we, we know it's, it's pretty good and pretty safe, really. 
when I'm thinking about scary nature things in my books, I'm often drawn to things that are unknown or unseeable or not understood. So the darkness, things in the dark, things at night, things that we can't quite see, nature that exists in other environments that we're not used to perhaps, so underwater, underground, even in the air or in the deep sea ocean, that creates another element of unknowableness. And for kids, there is so much that's unknown. So there is so much to both be scared by, but then hopefully also excited by, because I think those those two emotions are very, very finely um, separated. I definitely feel that shiver of excitement at night by a pond. It's so different to the day. Things sound different, look different, and your mind can really play tricks. Your sense of sound becomes heightened at night. Things that you probably wouldn't even notice in the daytime, like the swish of the reeds or the um, or the frogs, perhaps, suddenly sound like something quite terrifying. And your sense of smell also seems to become heightened at night. So suddenly the smell of that dank pondweed becomes quite um, clogging in your mouth as well your perception shifts at night as well you don't know how close you are to things if you don't have a torch or if it's not a full moon the first bit of fear when approaching a pond at night is where does this pond begin am I going to leap into it accidentally am I going to stumble into it and if you're at a wetlands there's a chance that pond has got big tall reed beds in it as well so it won't necessarily look like water it'll look like high grasses that you're walking towards so it'll be very easy to walk straight into that pond of high grasses and then sink. Uh, The other thing about a wetlands pond is that they are often very deep so that you can be submerged very very quickly. They're also very cold especially in the UK and they often have a lot of um, pondweed and if you think that there's reeds in there there's all the bottoms of those reeds tangling around and swirling around. It may be very easy to to stumble in without even realising it and get tangled up in those reed beds before you know it. And then you might hear the frogs start up, which have all kinds of sounds that come straight out of a horror film, (laughs) let alone some of the nighttime birds too. So there are all sorts of unexplained noises that might begin. And then you add the gentle swish, swish, swish of the reeds. And I think we've got the start of a horror film. Once you zoom in and see the brutal behaviour going on in ponds, it gets even more freaky. It's an alien world, one that's so tantalisingly close to us, but one we may never truly understand. There are so many scary things in ponds. We don't know how they think, we don't know how they react. So when we see a little creature in the water go herring after something else and swallowing it very quickly that seems terrifying because because it looks cruel why would that creature swallow that thing so quickly and so viciously so we forget that that creatures have different ways of thinking and have different motivations to their to their behavior as well and that might be quite hard for for a young person to understand certainly on the younger end because we're taught to be kind and be empathetic and to understand each other and to not do harm and and sometimes being in the midst of nature has to 
make you reevaluate some of those thoughts. Ghosts as well work really well with ponds. That idea of something coming up out of the out of the water, which may be missed, but it may not be missed as well. As every kid who has ever been pond dipping knows. There are weird and wonderful things in every drop of pond water. Let's dive into the deep and discover some of the strangest. We're starting with something that is hairy, has eight legs, and has a very unusual lifestyle. Henry Slater, who we heard from earlier on in the series, has a garden pond at his house near the Cornish coast, and it's full of weird and wonderful pond life. His favourite is the diving bell spider, the only spider to spend its whole life underwater, living, catching its prey, and constructing an underwater bubble where it hangs out. Ah, yes, the diving bell spiders are just fascinating. They're the only spiders that live underwater, and they come up to the surface, collect air at the surface that sticks to their furry bodies, go back down again. And release it in a sort of web that they've built underwater. And eventually, they do this so many times that they then have a, a sort of like a bathosphere under the water, which is held there by by the webs and by the plants surrounding the area they've chosen. And then they can go in there. The air's there. They breathe. They sleep, and they they reproduce in it. And when they want to go and catch something to eat, they they catch something underwater. They find a mate, and the young ones will be hatched underwater. So, Ellie, it's Halloween, of course, and we're talking everything spooky under the water of the pond. So, do you have a particular favourite animal, which kind of gets you feeling all, I don't know, creepy? <laughs> well, I thought I'd talk to you about leeches. Oh yes, go on. So, there are seventeen species of leech in the UK. Um, but only one of them is known to feed on human blood, and that's the medicinal leech. So, for those of you that can't picture a leech, it's very much like an earthworm, but they have suckers, um, and on one end of the body, those suckers um, actually have jaws, um, and then they have a collection of, of over a hundred teeth, which they use to latch onto their prey. They then draw blood out. They they grow to at least ten times their usual size. Um, but don't worry about it. They mostly feed on amphibian and fish blood and they only need to eat about once every six months. So don't worry too much if you put your feet in a pond because you're not likely to be bitten. Yeah, they're not in all ponds, are they? Although I have to say the other day I went for a swim and I did have a leech on my leg. And I want to point out it wasn't it wasn't, wasn't painful didn't hurt me it was totally fine if anything i sat and watched it for a minute because i thought wow it's actually a really beautiful fascinating animal although it does have a little bit of a gory side but that's okay we all have our quirks maybe absolutely and medicinal leeches are quite rare these days they were over harvested um for for medical use and, and now they're only found in a few sites so yes don't worry about it when you're when you're heading to a pond you're not likely to see them and if you do it's actually going to be really lucky because they're so rare yeah, appreciate your leeches if you've got them because that's a brilliant thing to have in a pond, that's for sure. The most terrifying thing, I think, 
for me uh, are the nymphs. So the dragonfly nymphs, perhaps particularly because they're quite large creatures, and they're also they're they're quite horrific because they're the the children of dragonflies. So they're not the little babies anymore, but they're not the beautiful dragonflies we know. These are the children. This is the most terrifying child I've ever seen. They're these kind of creatures that live right at the bottom of the pond they have these sort of mandible things that they talony things that they grab their prey and sort of force it into their mouths they're also incredibly fast they have really good eyesight as well so if you're a tender morsel in that pond for that dragonfly nymph you don't have much chance of getting away from this creature it's it's like a vampire, incredibly fast, incredibly good eyesight, um, big scary teeth. Um, oh, and the other kind of scary thing about dragonfly nymphs is they actually breathe through their bum. So they, they that propulsion from that water going in and out actually makes them even faster in the water. So they, they can get a bit of bum action going on and then leap after the animal even quicker and they've got such a lovely name like nymphs you think of this beautiful little ethereal goddess that's you know wafting through the reeds but they're not like that at all definitely the most terrifying thing i've ever seen then they grow into beautiful looking dragonflies and everyone loves them and don't have a clue about this horrific terrifying place that they begin (laughs) But perhaps a scary story, but also quite a fun story, might be concerning a dragonfly nymph that outgrows his pond and grows and grows and grows until he has to come and live in the local swimming pool. And I wonder what a large dragonfly nymph might like to feast upon in the local swimming pool. Perhaps all the kids coming for their their swimming lessons every week. Um, so I think we I could have a lot of fun with a a giant dragonfly nymph and also possibly start to find a sense of humanity and care and empathy for these terrifying creatures as well. Some truly spooky favourites from our guests there, but all equally fascinating. Maybe Lucy Christopher's idea has sparked some inspiration for you to write a Halloween pond story of your own. Or maybe you're inspired to do a piece of art or music. There are so many ways to experience the wonderful life of a pond. Reading books, researching and discovering online, getting creative, and of course, just simply getting into nature and enjoying it for yourself. There's nothing like the feeling of watching these things in the open air. So many astonishing animals who still have so many secrets to share. This is one of the amazing things about it is that obviously these sounds have been been around for millions of years, as long as the, these insects have been around. But it's only recently that we've turned advances in recording technology to focus in on these environments. When you listen to these sounds you immediately get a sense of their diversity. And that is reflective of the biodiversity in these environments. It just really simply illustrates the need to conserve them and to look after them. For this Halloween episode, we've been focusing on the freaky, weird, bizarre and sometimes brutal animals that live under the water surface of our ponds. 
But of course, we have to remember that it's all a matter of perspective. And sometimes for me, my curiosity pricks at the bizarre, the alien and the unknown. I'm fascinated about why they do what they do and how they do it in seemingly challenging environments. The spookier, the better. For more information on ponds and for fascinating nature stories, sign up for emails at www.org.uk and follow WWT on our socials. Waterlands is an 1860 production for WWT. The producer is Melvin Rickaby. 